0: So I think we'll make a start. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Grant Beringer. Uh, I work with Swisslog Logistics. I'm responsible for our West Coast operations in California. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Swisslog is an automation provider. We do warehouse and logistics automation, uh, so automation within the warehouse, which I think typically we're calling intra-logistics uh, nowadays. So, the question we're going to address today is how do I choose the right pallet ASRS solution for your operation? And we're going to look at particularly uh, two types of pallet ASRS. And I should explain ASRS, for those that don't know, starting from the beginning, is stands for Automated Storage and Retrieval System. We're looking at two technologies in particular today the traditional stacker crane, or storage and retrieval machine, and the pallet shuttle technology, which is a a newer technology which is coming into the market. So we're going to look at the characteristics of each of those technologies, and then what are the criteria by which we decide one over the other. (coughs) So this is where we're going. So firstly, we'll look at the challenges and trends which are driving automation within the warehouse. And then we'll look at, within the warehouse, where is it that automation brings the most value? Where can we get the most bang for our buck? We'll look at the two technologies that we're considering. One, the pallet stacker crane. And then the second, pallet shuttle systems. We'll look at the characteristics of each. And then we'll look at, how do we assess one over the other? What are the criteria by making that decision? And then we'll look at some of the inputs into a business case for you to justify that investment. What are some of the things and savings that you can get which justify that investment in automation? And then we'll have time for question and answers. So firstly, the challenges and trends. We'll look at three different areas. So operating expenses within the warehouse, costs are increasing as uh, as as the industry changes we also look at the working environment within the four walls of the warehouse things are changing which are driving more and more automation and then thirdly outside of the warehouse out in the market things are also changing which are then driving uh, automation changes within the warehouse so firstly, operating expenses I think over the last 10 years, energy costs have increased by 15%. They're expected to continue to grow. We also have increased real estate costs. As population grows, the demand for land closer to the urban centers increases and the costs are increasing, whether that's renting or owning. We also have a very strong labor market so that the availability of labor, uh, people willing to work in a warehouse is low. And for that reason, we have a reduced workforce. People can be picky about the work that they do. Working within a warehouse isn't always the preferred uh, job for people, mainly because it's a harsh work environment. It can be physically demanding, moving cases, lifting. Uh, It can be monotonous and repetitive work, and it's often in harsh conditions. It could be cold if if it's a freezer or a cold warehouse. And we also have strict regulations. Obviously, we want to take care of our people, make sure their health and safety is being looked after. So all of these aspects are driving more and more automation within the four walls of a warehouse. But outside in the market, things are also changing. We've got increasing segments. We've got new product ranges. People want local and ethnic foods. They want fresh but convenient choices and they want it delivered fast. So we've got a proliferation of of SKUs, we've got more and more SKUs and products that we need to accommodate, and we need to get it to our customers quicker. One of the other areas we're seeing a strong growth in automation is in the cold storage uh, side of things. So even just in online grocery uh, market, we're seeing in the next five years a 50% increase so those people ordering their, their products online, whether it be pre-packaged meals, meat, uh, fresh produce, there's a, a large increase in the use of cold storage for online grocery. So we asked the question, where does automation bring the most value? Automation's not cheap, it costs money. We want to make sure we're using it and getting the payback that we need. So if we take the typical warehouse processes, starting at receiving or unloading a truck from a supplier, receiving it, putting it away into the rack, into storage, then replenishing it to a pick face, we then have the process of picking, consolidating the order on the docks, and then loading the truck. So if this is a typical conventional warehouse operation, what we're looking at for ASRS is in this middle area. Automating those processes of put away, storage, and replenishment. We do have applications for ASRS in other areas, such as consolidating the store orders before we then send them out for loading. But the the main area we're looking at for pallet ASRS is in that middle area. So we're actually automating those manual processes. If we look at those processes now in a different way, in terms of the labor component for those. Typically, and this isn't scientific, but based on experience, these are some of the uh, percentages of total labor costs that can be assigned to those processes. And then we've got the different automation um, applications that can be used for those different processes. So again, we're looking in this particular session at this middle section, the transportation put away and replenishment <clears throat> and you can see that's about a quarter of the total labor component that can be taken away by the use of automation you can see here picking is the larger component and that's where you get the most bang for your buck that's a whole other seminar when we look at automation of uh, picking processes fully automated case picking but today we're, we're looking particularly at this middle section here but you can see we get a quarter of our labor costs that can be improved upon. So if we were to take an imaginary automated warehouse, which has essentially got all of the automated products under one roof, everything from mini load cranes, case shuttle, robotic picking, it's fed by case conveyors, we've got cube storage. What we're looking at, What we're looking at are these two ASRS solutions. So we've got the traditional pallet stacker crane, which I'll talk a bit about, and then we've got the pallet shuttle. So firstly, the pallet stacker crane. So in a typical application, we'll have a transport system at the front of the uh, storage, whether that's a pallet conveyor, a monorail, or a, a loop carrier essentially taking pallets from the docks to the destination aisle. At that point, the stacker crane, which is essentially a mast running on a rail, horizontal rail, picks up the pallet from the conveyor and then takes it to the destination somewhere in this rack in that aisle. So the main components of a pallet stacker crane the mast itself, as I said, which runs along a rail horizontally, top and bottom rail. And then we have a lift carriage, which is running vertically up and down that mast. We have a different configurations that can be used in terms of forks, everything from a single deep fork to, in this case, a triple deep fork for triple deep storage in a rack. But if the SKU requirements uh, allow it or require it, we can also add or replace the fork with a carrier so that we can get multi-deep storage and the carrier travels away from the mast into uh, the stor- storage rack. Obviously, the rack is designed based on the skew profile and the depth of the rack that you've designed to. And then we have our software, the WCS, which is coordinating the material flow and tracking the inventory, and I'll talk a bit more about that bit later <clears throat> so pallet stacker cranes they've been on the market now for actually 40 or 50 years one of the earliest uh, technologies in terms of automated warehousing very flexible <clears throat> can be built to a range of different heights and depths as I said very efficient so typically for lower um, depths you're meaning higher number of SKUs and very reliable. You can see some in operation here. Can be built up to 50 meters or 150 feet. And I'll talk about it some different applications as well in terms of buildings. So, As I said, it's a proven technology. There's many hundreds of these out in the market, uh, both in ambient as well as freezer conditions. There's a range of different heights. We have standard modules that can be uh, used depending on the height requirements. And they've got lighter and lighter and more efficient over the years. Each of the cranes is tested and set up on a test rig in our production facility before being sent and shipped across so that every unit is tested before it arrives to site. And then again, we've got our software, which is coordinating all the different subsystems within the warehouse. As I mentioned, it's a very uh, good application within freezers. But there's some features here that make it um, much easier to use. So in this case, we've got webcams or web uh, cameras on different aspects of the crane. So that we can often save um, a maintenance operator climbing a ladder high into the rack Um, to find what what could be a simple error. That can be seen uh, on a screen in the control room. Obviously, we have to have uh, lubricants that are specific for the temperature conditions to make sure the viscosity is correct when we're talking freezer conditions. And we also have to heat the electrical cabinets. And we often do that with regenerated power coming from the braking systems for the cranes, which I'll talk about again. And then if we do have a component that's failed, we want to be able to replace it quickly so we have quick disconnects, so we're not fiddling with wires while we're wearing gloves in a freezer. So as I said, the the cranes will use regenerative power so that we can reapply power that would otherwise be wasted from breaking, either in the vertical or horizontal direction. That power is fed into a power module where it can be used either for that crane or for other cranes within the system, or for other functions like heating cabinets, like I mentioned. So that gives you, gives you a bit of a summary of an SRM. What we'll look at next is the pallet shuttle technology. Similar to the SRM, we can have a range of different transport um, um, products on the front end, whether that be a conveyor, or in this case it's a monorail, which takes the pallet to the destination aisle. The difference here is that rather than a crane that's moving along the aisle, we have a vertical lift, which is fixed in place and lifts the pallet to the destination level. Another difference is each level has its own shuttle or carrier, so that the pallet is picked up by what we call an aisle carrier taken to its destination along the aisle. And then we have another carrier on board that aisle carrier that then transports into the row. So we're using two vehicles in each aisle. And as you can see here, we've got multi-deep storage in this case, anything up to 20 or 30 pallets deep if required. So the different components there for the pallet shuttle system, as I said, we've got an aisle carrier with a row carrier on board, traveling along the aisle, and then the row carrier would travel into the channel, depending on the depth of the storage. Rack is designed, obviously, based on the SKU profile required. And then the vertical lift, which is sitting at the front of the aisle. So the pallet shuttle is also very flexible in terms of storage solutions. One of the key features that that we're uh, working on currently is flexible road depth, where we can change the depth of uh, the storage locations as a software parameter, um, so that we can move pallets from one aisle to the other, and we can choose the depth of storage depending on the SKU profile which is particularly attractive for people like 3PLs who don't necessarily know their SKU profile into the future. It can be configured even after the warehouse has been built. Also very efficient, because we have one carrier per level, you have very high throughput. So essentially you have the same rate as an SRM would have, say 20 or 30 pallets per hour. We have that type of throughput for each level. We're restricted, obviously, then by the vertical lift capacity, but there's a number of different ways we can increase that, say by adding more than one pallet per lift to increase the throughput. Reliability is very high. Availability is very high. You can imagine if you have one level goes down, you still have the other levels that are still fully operating, so very high availability. Another key advantage of the pallet shuttles is that it can be retrofitted into existing buildings. Unlike the traditional SRM, the, which has very high forces imposed on the rail due to the stopping and starting, a pallet shuttle doesn't have those same forces. So, provided the concrete slab has been designed for the, the rack loads, for the pallet loads, there aren't the same lateral forces being applied to the slab. <coughs> As you can see, it can be fit within different building shapes and sizes, so it's very flexible. You can also, provided you've planned ahead for expansion in the future, it's very easy to add on additional modules by extending the transport system at the front end and adding on modules as your business goes. Also, because of the unique uh, flat carrier that's used for pallet shuttles, there are, it's not as restrictive on pallet sizes. So we've, in some cases, uh, transported load units of say 80 inches long because we don't have the same restriction as a fork would have. So sync keeps coming up and I'll come back to that in more detail uh, in a few slides. So hopefully that gives a bit of an understanding of the, different, the two different technologies that are out there and some of their features. But how do you assess the right solution? So what are the criteria we need to look at? So if we looked at a couple of factors, throughput and inventory in particular, so throughput here on the y-axis being number of pallet moves per hour, how much pallet throughput does your, your, are your requirements needing, and then on the x-axis inventory. And by that, we mean batch sizes or number of pallets per SKU, an actual inventory that you need to hold. So if you have relatively high throughput but low inventory requirements, then the probably most suitable application is a crane with two-pallet load handling, storing one or two deep. So we're actually picking up two pallets for every move, getting that high throughput that we require. But then, if you're slightly higher inventory, then we would add the uh, just the single slightly higher uh, lower throughput, higher inventory, then you might have a double deep but single pallet fork. Moving up the inventory range, we would have if you say have on average three pallets per skew or per facing, then we might use the triple deep fork. And then as your batch sizes are getting bigger, then we might look at a a shuttle system, replacing the fork, still using an SRM, but replacing the fork with a shuttle. So you're getting that extra depth, extra storage. (coughs) And then the pallet shuttle system, the second technology we looked at, is most suited to high high throughput, high inventory requirements. There's a couple of other factors aside from these two that we should also consider. So storage density, pallet shuttle, you're getting very, very high storage density because for every aisle you're essentially getting, you know, it could be 10, 10 or 20 pallet deep for every aisle. And also, as I mentioned, availability, if that's key to your business, then the pallet shuttle has the highest availability. You Imagine if a stack of crane goes down for for one reason or another, a maintenance issue, then all of uh, that aisle is inoperable for that time. With a pallet shuttle, uh, generally only one aisle goes down one level at a time, so you're just losing access for a smaller uh, area of of that module. So there's some other considerations in terms of. Uh, installation so brownfield by brownfield I mean retrofitting into an existing warehouse as opposed to greenfield where you're building uh, from from the ground up the pallet shuttle is unique in that it can be easily retrofitted into an existing facility uh, there may there are many cases where uh, an organization's run out of capacity within a manual warehouse they might be using manual racking or bulk pallet storage where you might get three pallets stored, but there's still a lot of room that could be uh, used above that. A pallet shuttle can be installed in those cases, making use of the full height of the building at a much tighter density. Also increasing your throughput because you have the automation um, feeding can be installed in different shapes and sizes. We obviously have to design around building columns and other restrictions there. And the concrete obviously has to be sufficient to take the loading, but uh, as I said, the forces aren't as high as as traditional SRM. (coughs) So looking at at the stacker crane installation, almost always they're going to be greenfield installations because the building has to be Custom design for that technology. The slab has to be um, designed to to support uh, quite high forces and the building has to be designed as well. In this case you can see the racking is standing alone at this at this point, what we call a clad rack design. So at some point after the racking's been complete, the cladding or the skin will be Um, attached to the side of the rack so we're taking away the building costs in that case and the rack becomes the building structure. You can also see here the installation process. So the installation of the base carriage on the rail is occurring here. It's being placed on the rail and then the mast unit is being installed. That, that, uh, That mast is then pushed down the aisle The racking will continue to be built to the end of the building and then the cladding will be attached so you have a completed building. You can see in this case it's probably about a 40 meter or 120 feet high building uh, with looks like double deep or triple deep storage. So I mentioned the software, so the WMS or the WCS, the Warehouse Control System. You can have all the technology in the world, but unless you have the software controlling it, you're not going to get the best um, optimization and and use of that equipment. So what the WCS does is, aside from tracking and tracing the product, we have uh, put away strategies uh, based on your requirements, the client requirements, to make the best use. So we want to put the pallet away to the best location we want to make sure you're getting high utilization for your storage, your physical storage. That's the put away strategies, but you also have retrieval strategies. So based on an order, you want to be able to choose the best palette for that particular order according to customer rules, whether that be FIFO, uh, best before date. So we want to make sure we're, we're choosing the best palette for, for the order. But we also are looking at. Um, new functions under Industry 4.0, taking the data that we have in our software and using that to optimize and even predict. So we have condition monitoring where we're uh, monitoring the condition of wear parts so that we can make a prediction about when you're going to need to maintain that particular wear part. We also will track errors within the warehouse so we we can predict uh, particular areas where you're having ongoing problems so you can have um, the right attention to that particular area. So as I said, software is a key component to make sure you're getting the most value for your investment in the equipment itself. So justifying the investment. So how do you go about building a business case uh, in order to work out whether it makes sense for you? Essentially, what we're doing at this point is doing a cost-benefit analysis of continuing to do what you're doing now in manual operations versus investing in automation. So I talked about the operating costs, the labour benefits that come, and that is a large part, obviously, of of this uh, investment decision. But there's also others. So there's the building footprint. Generally, because we're going high, storing up, high as well as closer together we're denser and higher than a typical manual installation you can reduce the footprint. Generally also because you're reducing the footprint you're reducing the cubic volume of the warehouse the box you're storing in is able to be smaller therefore your energy costs can be lower. There may be tax advantages there'll be improved ergonomics you have less injuries Reduce damage because people aren't dropping products. Uh, We can have less downtime in cost due to that, increased safety. And there's a number of process improvements too. So you get more accurate inventory because the, the software itself is always keeping track of where it's moving pallets around the warehouse. And it takes away the need to do inventory counting. So there's a number of process improvements as well. You can maximise the order fulfilment rate, making sure you're getting delivery on time in full, so improving your service record and reputation. It forces discipline, because you've got a, a system that has to be disciplined in order to operate well. And often the cost of capital is higher than the annual operating expenses, so another way to say that is The cost to do nothing can often be higher than the cost to invest in automation. Not always, but it can often be the case. So that's all I had prepared, but if there's any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Any questions? Can they... OK, so the question is, <coughs> can uh, the system store other units other than pallets? What type of system, what type of unit would you have?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes, so the, the, particularly the, the shuttle system, we actually have one of these systems for a car manufacturer, which I can't name, which is moving, not pallets, but racks, essentially, with parts on board so there's quite a lot of flexibility in the, the, the dimensions of the load unit for the pallet shuttle in particular. Also can be done with the um, stacker crane, uh, just requires a, a slightly different design of the fork unit. So yeah, there's installations safe for IKEA, which has a large range of different pallet sizes, you know, moving furniture. Um, and in either both those cases, um, we were able to do that. Any other questions? How many pallet shuttles installed in the US? So I can tell you globally. (laughs) So globally, we have 700. Swisslog has 700 vehicles out in operation. Probably um, 70% of those are in the US. So we have 25 projects worldwide using that pallet shuttle technology. it is a new technology, but currently Swisslog has, is ahead in terms of installed references. Any other questions? I have my lead designer in the front row too, so if anything gets too technical, I can answer questions. <laughs> Any other questions?
1: How reliable are the pallet
0: so we contractually obligate ourselves to above 98% availability at a minimum, in some cases higher. Um, and yeah, the pallet shuttle is quite easy at achieving that because, because, you know, if you had 30 vehicles, say in a typical installation, one goes down, that's 1 30th of your, your system that's not operating. So yeah, we, we do have clients that ask that, right, whether it's um, good to have a spare shuttle to just replace if there's a problem and we have had clients that have purchased one. I'm not aware that we've ever, it's ever been worth changing over the shuttle. It's usually much quicker to fix the, uh, the, the unit that's down. So it's very rare that it's going to be quicker to replace the vehicle. how
1: do you make the cost decision between the two if got A deep lane system maybe a couple cranes in a deep lane versus a multi aisle shuttle what's the where's the tipping point
0: yeah so I mean I touched on some of the key factors in making that decision I mean typically we'll look at a particular requirements that a client has for throughput, storage and, and, and build a concept for each and then make a comparison. So, you know, what are the labor comparisons, what are the footprint comparisons? So uh, yeah, I'm not sure I can give us a, a, a key answer because there's so many factors involved, but we would typically look at both around some of those high level um, factors I mentioned uh, the pallet shuttle is certainly a little bit higher um, because of the equipment and rack cost, but it's, it's very close. You're getting a lot m- more throughput, availability, and storage density um, for the pallet shuttle. The the What's that? How much would be the cost of the position? Cost per position? Yeah, between radio shuttle and areas: In terms of racking, where the we're, we've worked a lot with the the whole project sorry the question is um, how would what's the typical per pallet position comparison for the two do you want to answer that my
1: yeah I can try and answer that um, it, it uh, sorry yeah sure um, it, it really depends on on the size of the system right so if you're doing uh, A small system, the cost can be higher per position, right? Uh, But we've done large systems where the cost is down like five, six hundred dollars a position, five to six hundred dollars a position, right? Um, So, so it really, it really depends on the size of the system. There's no one answer to that question, Um, and um, and there's other factors, obviously, like when you go taller versus you know, we can spread the system out, right? So there's so many different factors. Okay, in some countries they lead up about uh, to do the budgets, they do that. Okay, let's do how much, how much is the price for a position and then we do the budget. The budget. So sometimes we, we have to do this for, for, per, for per position. So so it would be like a, like a handle. Yeah, and obviously the amount of automation you have also drives the cost, right? So as you, uh, as you have a lot more positions and less automation, that cost is, 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 is comes down to really the rack costs at that point.
0: So and that just out. to be clear, so the $500 or $600 per positions and all, all inclusive costs, including you know the conveyor infrastructure, the software, um, yeah, on a, for just the rack, it's you know a, a fraction of that. Any other questions? Yep.
1: So when when you're calculating the max throughput of the uh, ASRS pallet system, and that throughput is exceeded in say five or seven years, is what's the typical strategy to ensure you can still use the system and have a higher throughput.
0: So, and as I said, it is if it provided you a plan ahead, it is possible to extend and add additional um, modules, whether it be an aisle for the stacker crane or a module for the pallet shuttle. Um, I mean, that's part of the decision process during design. Is how far out do I want this facility to accommodate for my growth? I mean, it's a great problem to have if within five years you're exceeding your capacity. So one option is to expand. Um, I mean, with automation, you don't want to, what we say, um, build a church for each the Sunday. So if you have, you know, you want to be able to uh, make sure you're getting the best utilization of your investment. So if, if there's one day in the year where you have a peak, you've got you know three hundred sixty four days in the year where your automation's sitting there idle so that's you know the decision um, that needs to be made early on How many hours a day are you? Typically seeing customers run these systems. And yep. Likewise, how do you balance that with any inventory shuffling you have to do for like FIFO rules? Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. Um, again to that question making sure you're getting the best utilization for your investment, you want to use the automation for as most of the day as you can. Um no, make no sense in the automation doesn't care, it doesn't need brakes for um, apart from maintenance, but it doesn't need sleeping or or, um, food breaks. So, I mean, typically 22, 23 hours a day, allowing a small portion of the day for for maintenance during peaks. Um, What was the second part of your question? Sorry. They're shuffling. Yes. So one of the key um, features of the software is that when there is downtime, we're um, optimizing the location of pallets in storage so that when, you know, when shipping is happening, we're getting uh, pallets as quick as we can. So whenever there is downtime, we will optimize pallets within storage, what I call defragging, to make sure that, that the uh, storage is, is well utilized. So pallets will be brought you know, to the front of the aisle, or they'll, we'll make sure that we don't have um, areas where it's inefficient to bring pallets out which is hard to do when it's in a peak period when when you are using the system but when it the software will take whatever chance it has
1: Does your stacker crane have dual LHD pallet shuttles that go out to now? The dual LHD pallet shuttles?
0: Yeah, so the stacker crane yeah, well, can have dual. dual forks side by side or a single fork up to triple deep, three pallets deep.
1: But we'll have a can you, do the
0: shuttle? Can you have the shuttle that
1: shoots out into the deep channel?
0: Yeah. So the yeah the, okay. the stacker crane, rather than have a fork can have a shuttle, that goes into the row, more than three pallets deep, actually unlimited at that point, or, or say 20 pallets deep.
1: Okay. I just want to make sure they were dual on the same side.
0: What's that? just
1: wanted to make sure there was there were dual load handles on the same stacker crane that could shoot the shuttles out into deep channels.
0: Oh, I see. Yes, that is possible. Yep. Okay. There's no other questions. Thank you for your time. Thank you for attending. Hopefully, it was helpful. <clears throat>